everybody. I'm Lynn. I'm Bree. And I'm Vicki. And we are telling on ourselves. Yeah. I dipped out of that one. <laughs> the echo is just too much. Lynn can't handle the inconsistent, the cacophony of Zoom. I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> so I'm so excited. We have a special guest who's a near and dear to me. Um, and I'll let Lynn introduce her. Today, we have a very special guest. Um, her name is Sarah Beth Hunt, and she her business and her site and all of her things attached to her is called Messy Luminous Being. And I found out about her through Vicki. Vicki had done, I think, some workshops or life coach things with her, and that's how they came to be. And I got on her mailing list, started reading things, and it was a couple of weeks ago I got an email, you know, in the midst of all the pandemic stuff and us trying to find our inner serenity and try to stay focused and centered and not let anxiety take over. And this email that I got from her that day just completely spoke to me. And uh, we can talk about it a little bit further in depth, but I just can't even tell you how excited I am to finally get to chat with you, Sarah. (laughs) I am so excited to have this chat with you. I love your podcast so much. And it was like, when I heard that, you know, you all wanted me to be on, I was like, oh, I get to have like a hangout. It's going to be so fun. (laughs) Yay. Well, before we do that, we're going to get started with our first thought wrong. And today, Brie won the golden ticket. Ding, ding, ding. I did win the golden ticket. I had a very eventful weekend. You sure have. <laughs> do you so, tell? For those of you who don't know, I am now engaged. <laughs> Which is shocking in and of itself, really. Um, still trying to like let that process and sink in. But of course, you know, true alcoholic that I am, my immediate thoughts following the proposal were starting to worry about, you know, what everybody else was going to think, what we're going to do for our wedding. You know, I've been kind of going back and forth in my mind for a long time. Like I've always wanted a destination wedding. And I know like his family really wants us to be super local so that all of their friends and family can come. And so like immediately my mind starts going to all of the people that are not going to be happy, all of the things that are going to go wrong, how I'm not going to get my way. Cause I mean, it's my day. How dare I not get my day? It's a once in a lifetime thing. I have to be happy with this decision the rest of my life. So I don't know. That was kind of like, it, it stole a little bit of the, you know, it was like, I was super excited for like five minutes. And then I sat down and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a lot of work. Weddings are so much work. And I had to like stamp myself out of it. And so what we ended up doing, second thought right, was we were talking a little bit about Dave's dad and how we wish, you know, he could have been there and he would be so happy right now um, seeing us engaged. And that was his one thing that he had really hoped for us before he passed away. And so I was able to focus on, you know what, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, because there is one person who we know would be so happy right now. Um, and that person was Dave's dad. So that was kind of a nice opportunity to reflect and bring gratitude, you know, back into the the whole situation and whole event. And thank God for this program and you ladies, because you also helped me do that. You know, yesterday you guys talked to me a little bit and we're like, Hey, it's going to be a boundary setting decision-making, make yourself extravaganza. happy. Extravaganza. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. such a FGO, which for those of you who don't know, it's a freaking growth opportunity. Um, substitute your 
F word of choice there. <laughs> well, well, we, we are explicit, so you can say fucking yeah, growth yeah. opportunity. <laughs> I, know, I know I could. I don't know. I picked freaking, but um, so yeah, that was that was my first thought wrong this week was automatically going to the worry, you know, getting on the worry rocking chair, which I love this the quote in the saying, you know, worry is a rocking chair. It's something to do, but it gets to nowhere. So I love I'm it. Trying to be grateful. <laughs> Well, first of all, congratulations, Brie. And, you know, when we were talking last night, um, Vicki and I both said, the good thing is you got back to the right state of mind pretty quickly. You reminded yourself that you needed to be in the moment, enjoy the day, live in this euphoria that you have right now. You know, it's, it, you only get that once too, you know, yes. the newly engaged. True. Yeah. So I'm yeah. soaking up now. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm going to start with Definition Corner, if you guys don't mind. This was a fun one to do. So um, three suggestions of the ladies. I did definitions of messy, luminous being because I just love that title. Anyway, it can mean so many things. And when I do definitions, I, yes, ma'am. Yes, Brie. I was just going to say, I love it too. Like perfect <laughs> word choice, like the perfect three words, you know, yes. messy, luminous, just it's so perfect. I love it. And when I do definitions, I get to manipulate that because, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I <laughs> like to manipulate things. So I cherry pick what, what speaks to me, what resonates with me. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And we'll see if this is kind of where you were going with it as well, Sarah. So messy, um, the definition is out of control or untidy in a good way. Luminous is a person or trait considered glowing. And then being, which I knew was going to be a toughie because it's, it's, you know, it's objective and subjective and it's kind of abstract and there's all this kind of stuff that goes into being. I remember this going, you know, going back in school and trying to understand what to be means. So what I came up with was that which exists in any form, whether material or spiritual, and then it's the nature or essence of a person. So that's it. What say you, Sarah? I love it. First of all, I'm going to hang out with you girls all the time. <laughs> love my, my uh, three words. No, I think, um, you know, I was originally going to just name the podcast when I was first creating it, just Luminous Being. And that was mostly because I feel like we all are so aware of our like what we like to think of as, as our like negative traits, our faults and the things that we mess up and we're not good enough at. And it's really easy to get stuck in that. Whereas it's, the, I feel like the spiritual journey and the, the inner journey is about kind of working our way back to the thing that is luminous inside all of us that is like already, um, you know, I don't like to use the word perfect because I don't think that that word really um, applies to this kind of world. But, you know, that is already whole and already like just, you know, doesn't need to get better. Um, and then I was driving and I thought, actually, no, it's, it's the messiness that is really important in the journey to getting back to the understanding of what's luminous in us, because actually, if, you know, we all know this, like when things are smooth sailing, we also don't grow very much. And it's sort of that like ironic hard truth that actually it's a mess 
and the stuff that challenges us and forces us out of our comfort zone. Because I don't know about you, but there aren't that many people I know that like jump out of their comfort zone constantly, like for fun. Most of us have to get a little push out of there. And that's when we grow. So, um, yeah. So then I had to, I knew I had to add the messy in there. I love it. It's so cool because when, um, whenever I, I don't know when I came up with the analogy for me of like, we all have this light inside of us, but it's, it's like kind of dirty and gringy and it has like moss on it. And it's just kind of, I don't know, life makes it just dull. Right. And when we, so I guess messy. So I kind of have this visual in my head, but I guess what a lot of this work that we do in recovery and that meditation allows and that you're doing what your mission and your, your beauty of what you're giving to the world is kind of about clearing that. Like I just see this like beautiful crystal inside of us and making it shine luminously. And, and that's just how I picture it whenever I, I don't know. I love it. That analogy. Yes. I love it. Um, what really, when you were just talking, what really resonated with me is um, when you talk about getting back to, and I use that kind of same thing a lot of times when I say I'm not really changing, I'm letting go, I'm unclothing all the stuff that I've gathered in life to protect me that have been these defense mechanisms that weren't healthy, but I needed that protection or felt that I needed that protection. And what you're really doing is you're unbecoming what you had to do to protect. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think there's a second part to it because, you know, I'd love to hear what you think about this because the, so I was listening to a meditation um, teacher who said the real sort of goal of meditation is not getting somewhere, but is how much you can let go of. That's exactly what you're saying. Like how much of the habits and you know, beliefs and stories that we have about ourselves can we let go of. But also, I think there's another aspect to it that is, a, it's not a progressive journey in that you have to climb a mountain or you have to get from, you know, one place to a different place, but, but more that there's a transformation process happening. Because I always think with that, like the missing piece for me when we talk about unbecoming is I always think about like going back to what I knew as a child. And I think a lot of times we knew a lot more as a child, but we didn't know everything. We also didn't have a lot of the wisdom and the, you know, and and we also know that like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like there's a, you know, the, th- the thing that's so beautiful about the spiritual process and and like we were talking about before recording like that could be god that could be like the universe or that could be like something inside of you that you feel you know is um just the 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 sense of aliveness that we have inside of ourselves so i mean it doesn't really matter how you visualize it but that there's a a coming back to an understanding and a wiser understanding of that, that I think is possible. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's, there's kind of two things and I, I'm still, I suppose on my own journey, like working out what, what is the relationship between what we're letting go of and what we're transforming? 
yeah, that's um, that's that's a interesting uh, next step in that path journey that I hadn't even thought about yet. I love that. I love thinking about that. And I was just taking a couple of notes. And what you said, tapping into that aliveness, I think that is part of that journey of of still seeking. Because, you know, if we're still seeking, then we're still growing. If we're growing, that, that just makes our life so much bigger and richer and um, more wonderful. Totally. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the twofold there, you know, letting go and shedding, <laughs> but also growing still and evolving into new things and transforming. I love that. I yeah. So I'm curious, um, how did you get into, you know, before your business started and all of that, how did you get into meditation? Like what was your path and your journey, kind of like your story around that? Yeah, so um, basically I have... And sort of, I'll do a sort of rewind bit, but um, I've been studying a form of Tibetan Buddhist meditation for just over 10 years. And just before that, I did my training in um, teacher training for yoga. So the reason I got into all of this, I think, and, and I suppose there's so many threads that come into these things, but I feel like I'm somebody who... I'm not really able to stick my head in the sand about certain things about life. So the the sort of transient nature of life, like the fact that things aren't going to last forever has always been very present with me. I'm always like very aware that, you know, the one big truth we know is that we are all going to die one day. And how do we get okay with that? And can you get okay with that? And you know, that, that, different people in our life, we can't control what they do. And how do we get okay with that? And what, what's our relationship between ourselves and other people? And because they affect us, but, you know, so, so all of these questions, I feel like, um, were sort of always with me. And I had a grandmother, she's from West Virginia, and she was, um, She's a really big influence in my life in this way because, you know, you have these people in your life that they don't react like everybody else reacts to situations and it kind of puts a little seed in your mind like, huh, that's different. Why is it, you know, and my grandmother did not have a easy life. You know, she she lost a couple of babies like quite late and, and her relationship with my grandfather, like he was very strict. And, you know, in those days, like, you know, there was that relationship between husbands and wives and like, what you were told. And and there are these kind of things that were there. And I, so as I sort of was growing up watching, like sort of, or, or sort of becoming aware of what her life was as a woman, and how she wasn't able to have a lot of the things and opportunities that I had and stuff. And yet watching her also be completely happy, loving, compassionate, and and really at peace with her own life. It was just the first example of somebody who wasn't, who, who saw something about life that I did not get yet. And I wanted that because I saw that what was in her was something inside her you know, that she didn't have to do things like, you know, I, co- I compared it to like when I was little, I had this climbing tree in my backyard and I spent my whole childhood up in that tree. And I just, when I think about that tree and being up in that tree, I have this such, such great sensation of that, you know, when you feel uninhibited as a child, you know, cause you're not weighed down by all the stuff of life yet and, and being up in that tree and you could sort of 
see really far and you got that different perspective on your house and the land and you felt really strong and you were sort of up in the tree with the tree and like there's all these wonderful things about that feeling that I can remember and I feel like I, I looked at people like my grandmother I mean she was the first but also an inkling of what was possible for other people as well that she didn't have to climb a tree to get that she was carrying that thing around inside of her all the time and I thought if I can get that then I'm okay anywhere, no matter what happens to me. And I think there's something really powerful and really comforting about that, but also made me really curious because I was like, I, I do not have that. What is that? So it, it was a big question. And then um, when I was in college um, at the University of Florida, it was when I took my first kind of Asian religions class and I came across Buddhist philosophy and it was you know one of these things that you know for whatever reason that framework for understanding the mind and like the inner world really made sense to me um and I also feel like there it was the first um realization that there were people that could actually teach you how to do something with your mind that it wasn't just like luck and you just had to try on your own to figure it out, that there was like a system in place and there were teachers that could teach you meditation and that meditation was much more than just calming your mind, but about learning how to transform your mind into something where your mental patterns and your, you know, responses to things were not like other people's and I feel like that's what I, I I sort of once I saw that through different teachers I realized that whatever that was was also what my grandmother had in her I don't know if that makes sense but um yeah so that's how I got into it and then you know I was doing the thing that I suppose we all do is like you read books right like you know and I was going to see the classes and then eventually I thought, no, I don't think I can do any more on my own. I think I need to find a teacher. And, you know, you sort of have these strange moments where you put the, that thought out there and the universe hears you. And then, yeah, I found a teacher that could teach me. And so then I worked with him and I did my yoga teacher training. And then I, um, yeah, and then I've, I've done all my meditation study with him as well. Wow. That was, uh, that, that's amazing. And, you know, thinking about your grandmother, I come from, I'm from Kentucky. So I understand about the not formal education, not exposure to the outside world. And of course my neon sign, we joke about this. I have a neon sign when I like something just like, you need to pay attention to this. And your grandmother found acceptance and peace early, it sounds like, and was able to find that serenity. She was a very strong Christian, like she had a, a deep faith, but she had a faith unlike a lot of the people, because I was raised in the church, so this wasn't an unusual thing for me, but her, whatever she had, whatever insight she gained through her own study and her own faith was, was, a, was a different level, I think, of... Yeah. Yeah. That's a type of uh, open-mindedness that's, to say unusual for her time period, for her culture, for everything, it doesn't even begin to explain um, 
what she did. I'm, I'm really in awe of that. How, what an amazing figure to have in your life. Yeah, it was funny. You know, I said to, you know, I think she's the one of the wisest people I ever have known, especially very close, wise people. And it was funny because I, um, you know, I said that at various points and, you know, it, it's one of those things where you're not really sure whether this is just the way you needed to hear it. And this person in particular resonated with you or whether this is something that there's a wisdom that I think in our world where intellect and being smart is um, much more valued. I feel like that kind of life wisdom of being able to work within ourselves is such a different thing. I think people miss it sometimes and miss how important it is. Um, Because we can forget facts. You know, facts come and go. Facts are another like transient thing. Whereas the kind of experiential wisdom that she had, that I've seen other people have, that doesn't go. That's there. Yeah. I feel like I'm monopolizing. <laughs> but I do want to give one more. Okay. Um, I just read okay. Glennon Doyle's Untamed, and she's talking about her daughter, how sensitive her daughter is. And she said, in, in cultures before, before what we're experiencing now, there were people in, in everybody's society and their cultures who were a little different. They were a little odd, but they were seen as seers and the, the wise people of their tribe or their community. And they were revered for that. They weren't ostracized or made to feel bad for being that. And we don't have that now. No, I think it's, bec- it's becoming more... Uh, of a thing though. I mean, and I think it just depends on where you look and what you're looking for and kind of what Sarah was talking about when you're ready, the universe shows you different things. And, um, and a lot of what you were talking about reminds me of something that we talk about in the program, which is attraction and not promotion, right? So in church, there was a lot of promotion, believe in this, do it this, you know, the dogma was there, the, the, the rigid way was there and, and she bought into that. Okay. So I'm talking about what I took from this. Um, she bought into that, but she also had this other knowing, this inner knowing of, um, that, I don't know, confidence in what's life, what the experience or that, like, it reminds me of, um, this analogy of, of falling back into the the leaf of your um, higher power is kind of how one of my friends always describes it. She falls back into the the arms or the you know whatever vessel of of her higher power. And for me, that is really because for me, I didn't have the church in a good way, and I I pushed it away. And knowledge, I clung on to knowledge right? So this whole concept of any type of spirituality and anything that wasn't um, tangible was very difficult for me to understand. And I closed my mind to it. But getting back to what's what happens when you're looking for it, you find it in so many different places. So as I've grown and, and become in recovery, um, I've really opened that, that um, valve right? And I, I, was, I was forced to at first because they said that's how I needed to um, stay sober. But, but then 
it's it's this thing where okay well this is working and then still trying to discover it but I, I will tell you and I don't know if this is going to shift gears and we can come back to it if need be but I've been just really struggling with meditation and I'm sitting on my little meditation area and I just want to move and I just want to do things and I just want to like I'm thinking about everything that needs to happen and it's funny because my sponsor is also a meditation teacher and she studies um, meditation and she said is there something underneath that what's underneath that this busyness of this doing that you want to do that you can't you know become maybe you're just not and that's okay but so what I found myself doing is this self-soothing thing where I just rock. Sometimes I hold myself. Sometimes I just rock while I'm meditating. And I don't know if that's right or that's wrong, but I haven't been able to get into this mental frame of like no thought. Um, and I know thoughts come and you're supposed to let them go. But what's been happening to me is I haven't been letting them go. They just keep coming. It's like a waterfall of thought, one thing after the other. And prior to this, especially during this pandemic, I was able to get there. There were moments where I was able to just let go and be. Um, so it's been really quite frustrating to me lately. You know, Vicki, you're describing like what happens to everybody. And I think that um, the, the first thing that like pops into my head is that with the, when you're working with the mind, we're so used to progress in a linear way, like we get better at something, that it's very hard to accept that sometimes it, we're going to feel like we're going backwards. It's not that. But the analogy that um, I use in my teaching about meditation, because I think meditation is one of the most, well, I mean, there are so many misunderstood things, aren't there? But I think what we're doing when people talk about meditation is very misunderstood and it is not to clear your mind and it is not to not have thought. Um, but the analogy that, I, that my teacher used that I, I've always found so helpful and I, I now use all the time is... If you imagine yourself sitting on a roadside cafe, the cars are going to go by and the cars sort of in this analogy represent our thoughts. And sometimes the road's going to be really busy and sometimes the road's going to be really quiet. And what we're trying to do in meditation is stay at our cafe. You know, it would be a coffee analogy with me, wouldn't it? But <laughs> I, think I, I think I added that to the analogy. <laughs> but what we're trying to do is stay in our seat and not get in a car. And sometimes the cars go by and it's weird which cars we get in, right? Like it's not always the shiny thought. Sometimes it's the horrible bangers that drive by that you wouldn't, you know, you'd be in real life, like, you know, turning down a side street or going in a shop until it passed. Like we get in to, to pretty awful thoughts. And we, we realized five minutes later that we're way down the road. We've been driving inside this, this thought for a long time. And then we just need to pop back into the cafe. But what we're doing is, you know, it's just letting those cars go by. And I, I think that as long as you're aware of what your mind is doing, nothing else is a problem. 
It's only when you become unaware of what you're doing, when you're lost in the bubble, when you're lost, when you're in the car and you're traveling away and you don't even realize you're doing it. That's when, that's when we're not doing what we're meant to do. But as soon as you realize it and you get out of the car and pop back into your cafe, then we're just trying to stay at the cafe as much as possible. You know, because like, who doesn't want to stay at the cafe as much as possible? And now in the pandemic, this is like my greatest dream to go back to my cafe. <laughs> but, but yeah, but it's like, I think that analogy helps me because after all of these years, there are so many days and weeks where I sit down and the amount of time I spend in the cafe versus in a different car is like minimal. But I'm trying. I'm trying to stay. And, and we just try each time to the best of our ability. And I think just that recognition of knowing that my mind is busy right now. And the, the thing that gave me so much confidence in this is there's a very experienced Buddhist meditation teacher that, that works in the Tibetan tradition that, I, that I'm also training in called Pema Chodron. She, um, she's very well known. Lots of people will have read her books. Um, yes. But she, in one of her books, and I can't remember which one, she talks about how she went on retreat. You know, So she runs this huge center in Nova Scotia. She's the head nun there. And so you know, she was going to go on a year-long retreat, meditation retreat there. So she was not going to talk to anybody and she was going to meditate. And, you know, she's still there. So she's still like going to dinner and stuff. But this is what she's doing. She's meditating. All her admin responsibilities are gone. Everything is done. And she said she would sit down and have that same feeling like I've got to get up and do, do something. And it was only then that she realized like when I have nothing else to do but this and still that compulsion is there to get up and go get busy you realize that that's just an itch we all have. It's just a habit. It's not a big deal. We don't have to read too much into it. We don't have to say like, what's wrong with me? You know, like I, I must be doing something wrong or I need to, I need to get different or maybe one day, you know, when I get better at this, I won't have this anymore. No, you'll probably have that feeling and varying degrees every time you sit for the next 20 years, or maybe forever. But I think when I read that story from her, and I realized that even she, after all of these years, as a person who has, has given up the domestic, you know, layman's life and has become a nun, and is on retreat, this is all she's doing, even she has this compulsion. So it's okay that I do too. And, and that realization that this is just what, what it's like helps me sit with it because I feel it come up. And I'm just like, oh, hey, hey, feeling. There you are again. Every time, every time, you know, it's like that annoying person that calls you or always knocks on your door every time. But then you don't have to worry about it. So that's what I would say. Stay at the cafe and. Right. No self-flagellation. So with that, my next question is, do you continue trying and, and how often do you recommend trying to sit and trying to sit in your cafe? And like, what's a good rule of thumb for someone that's trying to 
grow in this um, practice? So I think for me, there's some mornings that I know I need to walk and not sit. And I, I started my serious meditation training almost 10 years ago, the same year I had my first son. So I never had a practice or, you know, I didn't have a life and an opportunity where I had years of of practice sitting on my mat for hours. It was like, I wanted to do this thing and I had a baby and he did not like sleeping and he's very cute, but he did not sleep for years. And so I had to just by like circumstance figure out how to practice messy, which is the other reason why I named it messy, because you can practice messy. You don't have to practice all the time sitting on your cushion for 20 minutes. In fact, don't do that, especially when you're starting out. You know, sometimes it's good to sit down and be a little bit more intentional about it and take this time and you can decide how long that is. And sometimes it's just five minutes or three minutes and if you're doing that all the time, every day, better that than like one 20 minute session once a month when you can finally get to your mat, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think the other thing is that I thought all the years that I was trying to practice having this first baby, then I had another baby. So then I have a toddler and a baby. You know, like you can imagine how much time they were leaving me alone to sit and practice on my mat, like not happening. And so I, you know, speaking of beating yourself up, I spent a lot of years thinking I was messing it up. You know, I wasn't doing it right. I wasn't going to get it right. And for me, working with your mind is the most important thing you are going to do. So the stakes were pretty high in my mind for not getting it right. And then after a bit of time, I started to realize, you know, and a bit of, by bit of time, I mean like years, years of just like not giving up, years of like falling off the wagon for like, you know, months at a time, not practicing and then coming back and trying again and doing it completely messy. I realized that it was working and, you know, these things you can't, other people can't see what's happening in your head, but you know that you're worrying about things less. You're spinning things less in your head. You're maybe a little bit kinder to yourself. Maybe you're a little bit more able to let things go that you know would have really bothered you before. So these are the things I start to like notice in my head. And I realize it's working even like this. And for me, it's mind training and meditation is a 24-hour Maybe not 24 hours. I'm not so good at my sleep yet. Apparently, the, the big top yogis can do it in their sleep too. <laughs> That's way beyond me. But a lot, I would say 80% of my practice is in the middle of what I'm doing when something triggers me. And I have to go inside and look at, okay, this is where, you know, so so then the practice looks like this. It doesn't look like sitting on your mat. It looks like what am I feeling? And my teacher uses this phrase, be like a stick of wood, be like a piece of wood. So don't react. You know, when you feel triggered, get very still. And you just look, what is it like? Where do I feel it in my body? Can I, can I bear 
to just be with that for a minute without acting out of it? Can I bear to just be with it, to feel what it's like, to notice what trains of thought are attached to that feeling? Because these are the habits. These are, these are inner addictions, our mental addictions. Are we are addicted to certain trains of thought and certain stories about ourselves and about other people and that we're right and other people are wrong and or we're wrong and other people are always right or whatever it is. And so, so you know, and, and again, this is like, I don't want to give the impression that I do this well all the time. This is a practice because like I have to keep practicing, but it doesn't require me to sit on my mat. It re- and I think that's where the real transformation happens and where the real knowledge about how your mind works because there's the way that the mind works when you're sitting doing nothing. It's like, what does the mind do when you're bored? That's the question that we sit with a lot of times on our mat. And that's very useful. We, we get a lot of knowledge about our mental patterns and what we're what our energy state is like at the moment and what our, what we tend to think about at the moment. But there's so much that we can learn about our minds when we're on the go, you know, what bothers us. And, and you guys do this all the time as well. It's like, but it doesn't, I think the important thing about the, the messy aspect and just giving yourself permission to not have to have it look like the pictures on Instagram you know, to not have to light a candle before you're willing to go inside yourself, then, then you're a real practitioner, you know? Because the thing I was going to say about my grandmother too is that for me, and I think this is getting worse and worse as, you know, there's all this Facebook, Instagram, all this stuff, all the drama on the news and stuff. We're looking for big firework experiences. You know, we want spiritual realization to feel immense and exciting and, you know, out of body and I don't know, whatever it is that we have in our minds. And actually the people that are are the wisest and who have transformed in the ways that I feel are really helpful are often incredibly like mundane. You know, everything's very simple. And that's why I often think that the wisdom that my grandmother had was very overlooked because it wasn't, she wasn't doing anything profound. She wasn't, you know, speaking these profound statements all the time. She was just being it. She was letting it go. She wasn't, you know, when, when someone would say something that normally someone else would have reacted to with adding more fuel to the fire and more drama or more, I'm going to keep going with that story and talk to you about how wrong they are and how right you are and they're so bad. And, you know, she wouldn't do those things. And those are very subtle things. And oftentimes they don't win you points. They, you know, so yeah, I think that it's, for me, a lot of my practice has just been about not only letting go of what's going on in my head and like these these mental habits that I have, but also letting go of what I feel like I wish my practice would look like and what I have to realize that it actually looks like in a life that's not a retreat center, that's not on the beach, you know, that's, that's with two kids in a house where I have to like clean the toilet and get the emails done and cook dinner and 
then clean up after dinner. And then someone's yelling because, you know, I didn't buy the right desserts and, you know, just normal stuff, just normal stuff, you know. So much of what you were just talking about, which was amazing, and I couldn't take notes fast enough, first of all, thank you, is what we practice in the program. It is about letting go, being in the moment, learning to respond instead of react. I mean, all those things. And it it has been um, such a life-changing practice for me um, because I'm, I'm still such a toddler in this and I want to know more and more and more. And sometimes I'll beat myself up because I'm not good and I fail. And what you were saying about linear, that's exactly what happens in the program, which we tell newcomers. Nobody does this perfectly. That's not the point. The point is not to do it perfectly. The, per- the point is to practice and practice and practice. That's Thank right. you. Yeah, there's so much in yoga and in in meditation that we have to learn a totally different way of working with ourselves because everywhere else in our life, we push. And sometimes I think this is really helpful in a physical practice like yoga because it's a little bit easier to understand. But, you know, we don't have to push the body to get results. And we don't have to make a specific shape in order to do yoga. Yoga is about looking inside and feeling and noticing what's there. and you know, it's the same with the mind. And the, the really, like, the thing that's almost most surprised me about all of this stuff is that so often we want to tackle the pain point head on. You know, like something's going on in our life. And, and for, like, say, you know, just to use an example, like, say the physical practice, like, you know, people come into a, a yoga class because their back hurts or something and they want to fix their back and that's great like you need to fix your back because your back hurts but also so often the way that we are approaching life is the cause of the problem in the first place and it's the push and the way that we're working with ourselves that we have to change And, you know, I look at people trying in yoga classes, trying to make poses, you know, trying to make the shape. And it's like, there's this beautiful quote by the um, yoga practitioner called Patabi Joyce, who was the one who brought, I don't know if if people listening are are big, you know, yoga people or not, some some might be, but they'll know the Ashtanga is a sort of school of yoga. So he brought that over. I'm not a big fan of, of the practice. But he has this beautiful quote that says, just practice all is coming. And we get so worried about the results and so caught up in like, am I changing? Is it working for me? You know, and I feel that too. Like, is it working? Is this happening? Am I doing it right? And actually, most of the time, if we just stop worrying and we just do the thing, the transformation stuff that we want happens on its own. So the way that this works with our minds in meditation, in the world of meditation, how meditation people think about this is like, you know, sometimes we want to change a particular mental pattern because like we spin out on something, right? And this is like, you know, every time something happens, it triggers us and we have this whole story in our head about it. And, you know, we can't let it go and it bothers us for days, blah, blah, blah. And everyone has this. And it's like, so often we want to get rid of that thing. 
And so we want to do something because our, our habit of working is to do something about it. We want to, but actually it's hard to trust that just witnessing and staying with something is going to change it on its own. But that is what my experience is. And that is what is so profoundly surprising is that oftentimes we don't need to work so hard. We just have to look and be willing to look. And that, that is, that is almost more hard than trying to do something to just look and, and see what's there and see what it's like and be willing to be brave enough to actually just witness the thing. Usually in the process of witnessing it over time, whatever needs to shift shifts on its own. And we didn't need to push it away or make it be different or make ourselves be different. So I don't know. I find that really, it's hard to have faith in that, I think. Well, it's so much of the steps. You just talked about so many of the steps I've been <laughs> writing down. Like I have so many words. <laughs> well, the three, yeah, three, six and seven. Totally. I mean, when you were talking about. See, it's true. Yeah, the feelings, the feelings, right, and the and the behaviors, and just sitting with it, and and it's so cool that um, I'm, I want to read this one part of the big book to you. I think you'll find it fascinating, but um, it's 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 hitting me so personally because you know my ten year anniversary is tomorrow, and on your anniversary you tend to get a little reflective like you do on your birthday or me, like I do on my birthday and I do on New Year's and I do on my anniversary. Okay. These are the three times in life that I get a little bit um, weird, right? Reflective, internalizing. And Bree told me about this yoga app that I can use and it's, um, they're doing it for free and it's, it's really nice. And, um, and you can pick what kind of music and all this jazz. And I did it once for 20 minutes the other day and it was fine. I used to love yoga, but I stopped um, going because I had to quit Lifetime and that's where I liked the classes. And then I went to this lady and then I had to quit that because it conflicted with other things. So as you're talking about this and you're like, stay with it, all I can think about is what an alcoholic thinking I have because even with meditation in these last few times where I haven't been able to get anywhere, I'm like, well, I might as well just not meditate. And then you're like, well, you don't have to sit on your mat. And then I'm just like, oh, fuck. And I know this shit, but I, I'm, I'm, but I'm being such an alcoholic right now that I'm like, well, I'm not brief. And was like, well, you should do yoga because I couldn't work out yesterday. I'm like, I'm not doing yoga anymore. I am not feeling it. Like I literally said those words yesterday. You shut it down. She yoga. shut that shit down. And, uh, um, and like your app sucks, Brie. No. no, I think the app is great, but I was like, I can't feel yoga. Like I am not feeling the same thing I used to feel when I did yoga. So, so instead of just doing it and not pushing and just letting it happen, I just want to quit. And that is the alcoholic in me. And that is, and I'm sure mo- many humans have that. But the thing that about alcoholics, I think, is that we just take it to this next level of extreme. And, but what our, our book and our practice is teaching us is to not allow that to take over as much, right? So I want to read the spiritual experience really quick, and then I'm going to shut up. But it says, this is, this is for people, I came in as an atheist, 
And some people have this experience when they come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they have like a bright light experience where they say, God, please help me let go of this. And they literally lose their obsession and desire to drink ever again. Now, that is not what happened to me. And it always disturbed me because I wanted to be this good little AA that worked the steps and that did it right. And, you know, you never graduate because you're 10 years sober and you're still dealing with different things. But it says the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has gone, undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. And then I'm going to skip over this part, but it says willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And it's really exactly what you were talking about. And, and it's so important for me as a recovering alcoholic to remember this. And there's no, there's no coincidence that we're having this conversation today. And I've been having this personal struggle, even though I wouldn't like to admit it, right? I would love to not admit that I'm about to be 10 years sober, but I'm still having these feelings of, I just want to quit and I'm going to take my ball and go home. And I don't want to do yoga and I don't want to breathe and I don't want to go on a walk to meditate. I, you know, I want, I had a month ago. You can ago, have one day of that. Right, right. You can have a day like that. So anyways, my day is over because I had it yesterday. Yeah. And now <laughs> you guys are teaching me. Alcoholics Anonymous, Sarah Beth Hunt, Meditation, Pema Chowdhury. I mean, that's the beauty of all of this. So I'm going to be quiet because I have just dominated. Can I just say something that just throws all of this on his head, which is that what I believe is that it's not such a great thing when someone has a really profound experience. It's, it looks like a gift. 
It looks like this wonderful thing that's happened to them. And then because they don't know how it happened and they don't know how to bring it, they don't know how to do it for themselves, then afterwards they're lost. And so although it's it's really like, you know, what we were talking about a minute ago about we want these profound experiences. We want them. We want to feel like, you know, that story of Eckhart Tolle when like, you know, he just had this like, you know, I, I can't bear myself anymore. And then bing, and he's enlightened and job done. Great. Like, wouldn't that be wonderful if that's just what it would happen to most of us? But actually what I see, like there was years where I had these two babies, right. And I was trying to practice and I was totally, you know, according to me doing it all wrong. And I would, I had some friends who were going to this 10 day meditation retreat, silent meditation retreat. And I thought, oh my gosh, but I would love to do that. You know, go on a retreat, really. What could you do with the mind in 10 days of silent meditation? And there was so much kind of, I don't know if it was, I would totally call it jealousy because I didn't, you know, beat myself up, but it was just like this. I really want that. I really want that. and. I slowly watched friend after friend come back from these retreats, having had profound experiences and they don't practice because you cannot fit that kind of experience and practice into life where you have a job or you have kids or you have a house or people don't leave you alone for hours and you don't have hours to practice. And so even though I think that, you know, the way that I learned this was sort of the hard way, actually. I thought it was, you know, I thought learning how to do this muddling my way through method was really the, you know, a big obstacle. And it was, it was really, you know, me doing it wrong. Actually, I realized this is the, the biggest superpower I have now because I don't have any illusions anymore that it has to be perfect. I know that it works without it being perfect. So that's not to say I don't get frustrated and I don't want to sit on my mat and be quiet. And then my kid comes in and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just sat down and you know, (laughs) but I know it's okay. I know it's still going to work. And I know, you know, so, so that kind of fear and doubt is gone. And actually, you know, doing these things, learning how to work with ourselves as we are that's the only way. There's no other way. You know, because all we see is like this person that's had this amazing experience and we create a story in our head about what it's like for them. We don't know what it's like for them. We don't, we don't know what the next day is like. And then the next day after that, and then three months after that, and nine months after that, and two years after that, they still feel like they did. I, we don't know. You know, so... You know, it's not, it's very human and very understandable. And we're connected by that shared experience of wanting things to be easier than they are. But I don't think any of us get a shortcut. So, you know, and, and the thing with, with everyone within the program and anyone on the spiritual path is at some point you get to a point where you're not off the hook anymore. There is no like, I'm just going to forget this you know you might you might make mistakes and mess up but you know you're messing up now you know and you know what you should be doing and so essentially get back on 
it's amazing how much all this dovetails with what we practice in our program um, of of admitting when we know we're not doing the next right thing. Cause that's what we talk about. It's like, we can't have any control over what's going to happen, but we do know what the next right thing is to do. I love that. I've totally taken that mm-hmm. from listening to you guys as podcast, that next right night step. It helps me so much. Cause that's sometimes all you can get is the next right step. You don't, you want to see like way far in the future, don't we? And figure out how it's going to all work out. But yeah, yeah that's all we got. I, I could talk all day. I could listen all day. Um, but I think we should probably start winding up with our golden nuggets, ladies. Do you all have anything else? I've got six pages of golden nuggets. But. I know. <laughs> Do I have anything else? I'm like, let's just keep talking here. I know. Don't think when we push the hit the record off that we're not gonna still keep talking, guys, but we don't wanna we don't wanna hold anybody hostage. Yeah, Lynn has got this thing about our podcast time and she does not want it to be a certain time. And I say they can just shut it off if we want to keep talking and it's still fun for us. Come on, mom. Hello. Do you have any, do you have any jokes? Do you have any jokes, um, by the way? I do. And actually, I wrote them down or I put them in my thing. Because All right. Well, do you want to do those before Golden Nuggets or do you want to? Yes, okay. I do. All right. Okay. Those grandpa jokes. They're hilarious. Um, hang on one second. I have to find the page. I love I started, just watching your face when you just said yes. You want to tell your jokes? <laughs> Brilliant. Totally. Okay. Um, here we go. I have a split personality, said Tom, being Frank. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like about your jokes, Lynn, is normally what? I don't get jokes. But I get uh-huh. every single one of your jokes. <laughs> That's because they're so corny, Vicky. Like, I know. Read <laughs> corny. <laughs> Give me cheese. You are welcome. <laughs> but all right, golden nugget time. Anybody want to start? Three. You know, I don't even want to do a golden nugget because all of it was just so relatable with what we go through with the steps. I just want to tell you. What I really wanted to tell you is I think your analogy of being up in the tree as a child was so beautiful because I can relate to that feeling so, um, so intensely. There were moments in my life as a child where I felt so alive, but also immortal. Like I was having this like coming to terms with like my mortality at a young age because my, one of my grandmothers died when I was six. And I would would remember laying in the dark in my bed, thinking and imagining what it would be like to be like as morbid as it sounds like dead and lifeless, but that deep feeling as a child. And then there were times when I would just be, you know, we had this forest behind our house and we'd be running through the woods and there was just a connection and a deep feeling of like a freedom in seeing every, like a macro version of life almost at such a young age um, and a oneness and this like bigger picture that made me, I think from that age, it was trying to find that and search for that. And that is why today I think like meditation, yoga, like spiritual progress of any sort is so attractive to me is because I did have that, that experience at such a such a young age. And I can just relate to when you talk about 
sitting at the cafe and, and, you know, trying not to get in the car. And I, and I would say I'm a beginner at meditation when it really comes down to it. And so I've been practicing a lot with like breathing and being able to count breaths, like anything so that I don't get in the car. You know, when I start to get, want to get in the car, I go back to breath and counting or, and I'm even like, I'm sure you've probably heard of Soma before and we can talk about, I totally want to talk to you about it later is the Soma meditation breath work thing. But, um, it's an awesome journey and it does not have to be perfect. You just got to be, you know, interested in going, you know, taking the journey. So I am just super charged up and fired up about everything that you spoke, spoke to today and I uh, super appreciate it and appreciate you being here and can't wait to, you know, talk to you more after this. So <laughs> thanks Brie. Thank um, Again, seriously, six pages, but something that I keep going back to is um, that transformation you were talking about and just tapping into your aliveness. And that really, really spoke to me is I don't think I'd been able to articulate what I had part of what I've been seeking. And that was it. It was succinctly tapping into my aliveness. And um, it was kind of one of those mind blown things. Um, just such an honor and a treat. And I can't wait to talk to you again. And I'm so glad to have connected with you and have you in my life. And um, thank you. Just thank you for your time and your wisdom and your kindness and all of it. So Girls, I'm coming here every week. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any golden nuggets, Miss, Miss Hunt? Well, I think that the thing, I, I suppose... If I were to, like, what do I want people to take away? It's like meditation isn't what you think. And, and the word perfect doesn't, isn't applicable. It's not a thing you can do perfect or not perfect. Or, you know, all it is is looking. And the, the, the journey, I mean, I think that for me, what has been really helpful is that I have worked within a tradition that is like very very old so Mm -hmm. this stuff is is you know that my teacher trained with the first lamas that came over after China invaded Tibet and so there's a lineage and you know there's a a sort of very a huge depth and like I'm just at the beginning of that definitely but I think oftentimes we think that we're supposed to be able to make our minds calm. And the biggest, I think, thing to know is that if you have that moment where you think, I can't meditate, like I cannot make my mind calm. Every time I sit down, I want to get up. Then that is the first most precious realization you can have. And like, you're doing it. That's what it is. So don't, don't think that that's a failure. That's the first thing that you understand about yourself and your mind. And that's amazing because you can't work with anything if you don't see it, you know? And then there's a whole, within the the tradition that I practice and within most Buddhist meditation traditions, it's sort of a two-part thing, exactly like you're saying, Lynn. It's like Mm -hmm. you first learn how to calm the mind a little bit, not that there's no thoughts, but that they slow down a little bit and you learn how to look because you can't, you know, if you're in a car going 70, probably closer to 80 down the highway, you can't 
look out the side window and see with any clarity what the bushes are like and what you're passing. You have to slow down first so that you can see what's there. But then, and this is the part that I'm not sure everybody knows about meditation because this is kind of like looking at the whole journey. Once you can see, you start taking things like, what is it like? And um, there's that, that effort to, now I see these patterns in my mind and I see them clearly and I see how they work. Now I can choose. Now I have that moment of, of, of a choice where I'm not getting swept down the stream. I'm not just in the car immediately. I have that pause and then I can make a choice. Is this leading to happiness? Is this leading to like positive and states that are like helping my well being? Or is this just causing me to suffer needlessly? Mm-hmm. And then the transformation starts to happen, you know, and that process happens. So there is kind of those two, two parts to it. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So how can people find you? What do, what do you have to offer? Shameless or uh, plug time, plug, plug. Time. Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram at Sarah B. Hunt and at Messy Luminous Being is the podcast that you can listen to. And I think, you know, for me, what I, what I have is I can teach people how to work with their minds and how to go through those early stages of meditation practice in messy life. You know, like sometimes it's hard when we look at these big teachers like Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle and, you know, all these big people, it's, they're so wise and they have so much to give us, but it's hard to sometimes figure out how we can relate our life that doesn't look like their life. You know, our life looks messy. Our life's got kids or our life has got a full-time job. And how do we make it work in that situation? And I think that's, um, that's what I love doing is like figuring out how to make it work with your specific situation. Because I think in meditation and when you're working with your own mind, books can only take you so far. And then you need to start like having somewhere to go where you can ask a question. Cause again, these apps are amazing. Sometimes you have a question, like, am I doing it right? Or what, this is what happens. Is that normal? Or, you know, what do I do next? I'm confused or this does not feel good. What am I doing that might be not helpful? So yeah, it's really important to find somebody. doesn't matter if it's me or not, but find somebody that you can go to and ask questions. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> at, the, at the risk of saying, you know, a typical brief fashion, something just silly. It's so true though, because I'm at the point in my yoga via the app where when something doesn't feel good, I'm like, I don't think that's supposed to feel that way. I don't like doing these supine twists. Why does my inner hip hurt? You know, just an example. Yeah. You, you know, if you're, I think it's so helpful to have a teacher to help you get past all of that stuff, even you know, with meditation and everything like that. And I have questions all the time. I'm like, okay, I'm doing the yoga, but what is yoga? You know, like the deeper questions of the whole philosophy and practice behind it. It's like, great warrior two. What does that mean? Why do we, why do we do that? And then go this way, then this way. Like, and if you're interested in that, you do have to dig a little deeper, like 
that's cool. And that's, you know, what you offer and might be reaching out to you soon. <laughs> hey, no, be awesome. Because I, I do think you get to a point where you plateau, you've taken yourself kind of as far as you can take yourself and you need like input from another place. Yeah. Always. So, hey, you feel messy and luminous, then <laughs> come on. And awkward and awesome. <laughs> well, I love you, Sarah B. Hunt. I am grateful that um, the universe brought us together in so many ways and that you got to um, just hang out with my two other favorite people in the world. And, you know, this is like the, the, the meeting of two worlds and and I have goosebumps and I, and I, um, I'm, I'm just super grateful for all of you beautiful women that are seeking and, you know, being who we are. And, and I like what you said, is this making a positive, is this a po- making something positive in my life or is it making me needlessly suffer? Yeah. And, um, and, and that's what I have to look at every day. And I, and I appreciate it. And, you know, in our big book, it talks about getting outside help with all these things because they put barely any, um, any time or energy into meditation into this book. There was, um, our, our founder actually wrote an article in the grapevine about how it's important to seek and find what works for you, because this is a part of our program of our everyday program that we need to somehow figure out a way to make it work. So um, just thanks for what you do, what you're doing for the world and what you've done for me personally. And um, that I think that's all we have. I think we need to stop before um, Lynn jumps through the Zoom call and chokes me. Um, It's so fun to hang out with you guys. And thank you so much for asking me. It's such a joy. Well, tribe out. Tribe out. Thank you so much for listening to Telling on Ourselves. You can please rate, review, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast platforms. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook or Instagram at Telling on Ourselves.